0: Church. And every morning we would go from the school over to the church and we would have Mass, which is their word for a church service. Not just any church service, it is a church service where communion is performed. So anytime you hear the word Mass, it's not just their word for church, it's their word for a communion service, and everything else they do is kind of uh, built or wrapped around that. So uh, in first grade, we are trained for our First Communion. And First Communion is a really Really big deal, and uh, and so we've got. And and, I mean, you you dress. You all little boys all wore black pants and our white shirts and a tie, and we all got a picture. You know, one big group picture of all of us up there. And and I don't remember the training. I mean, I was six. I'm sorry. It was was more than two or three years ago, (laughs) Uh, and, and and I don't remember anything I was taught. I don't know. I mean, and I know part of it was simply what to do at this point. You stick out your tongue (laughs) because the way they work is the priest comes along and he places the wafer on your tongue. Right. And by the way, one thing I I do remember this, you don't chew the wafer because that's the body of Christ. And it's evil. You don't bite Jesus. It sounds funny. Now, especially here, where we are the crunchiest communion church you've ever come across. But it was serious. You didn't bite the wafer. You, you let it dissolve in your mouth, and that's why they had those wafers. I wondered, what did they do before fancy wafers? But anyway, uh, it, was, it was a big deal. I don't remember a whole lot about it, but I remember uh, being about fourth or fifth grade, And visiting my grandma, McLaughlin, who went to church at what is now called Community Bible Church, Pastor Bob Smith, if you, anyway, uh, and and, uh, she was a Sunday school teacher there, and I, I hated going to grandma's church, because they did everything wrong. They didn't know how to do church. I knew how to do church. I went to church every day, you know. Got Saturdays off. I guess we were good behavior or something. But uh, I, I went to church. I knew how church was supposed to work. And they didn't do it right. And besides that, when they had Sunday school, they expected you to be able to find places in the Bible as if you were supposed to use the Bible. I didn't understand that. And then they got, were in there one Sunday, I was there, and they did communion. And they did everything wrong. They they didn't have one guy who placed it. You didn't do this and stick your tongue out and have them put it on there. And you took the juice as well as the bread, and you don't do that. These people had no clue how to do communion, which was probably really similar. I don't remember that either, Uh, aside from that I didn't like it. But it was probably real similar to how we do communion. But it was all wrong. I was confused. I was bothered. I wondered what was wrong with Grandma's church right, because they did these things. You know, one of the things we're supposed to, I say all this, say, and, and some of you may be, it may be ringing bells and go, well, that doesn't sound so wrong to me. <laughs> There's, we all have, we all come from different backgrounds. We all have had different experiences, different training, different teaching, different understandings, and one of the things we're supposed to understand is communion. But people rarely actually explain it. And so we come with our own backgrounds and biases and thoughts and, and and ideas, and and we're kind of shoved into how this church does it, and, and uh, it's like I don't know if we're doing it right, I don't know if we're doing it wrong, uh, but I, I it feels wrong to ask, it feels wrong to question. You don't want to challenge something, you don't want to rock the boat, and and you're not even though you know what you know, you know what you're comfortable with, you're not sure it's right, and so you, and, and we end up with this. We take communion, but we're not sure about it. Today, we're going to look at some different ideas people have about communion at how it was observed early on in the church and why we do do communion the way we do today. So so first of all, the communion conundrum. I love conundrum. I learned the word at the hospital. Uh, Marge and Norm Nelson, if you remember them, Norm had a problem. I went in and the doctor says he has a serious case of conundrum. And I'm going, I said, I don't know medical terms. <laughs> and Now, if you know what conundrum means, you're laughing at this. But if you don't know, you're going, I don't know either. <laughs> and conundrum means puzzle, right? It means he has a puzzle. We don't understand him. But, but I love the word because now I know it. Anyway, the communion conundrum. Okay, what is, what is right and what is wrong about communion? And first of all, uh, I have three different questions we're going to look at here. The first is transubstantiation, consubstantiation, or memorial? Okay, and and you go on, Steve, you're not helping the situation. Okay, transubstantiation is a fancy word that means the the bread and the wine become the body and blood of Christ. That is the Catholic view of communion. Okay I, I, I think they, they support this from John chapter 6. John 6: 6, 53 says So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you And if you ever if, if you haven't read John chapter 6, read John cha- or lately read John chapter 6 and it really sounds like, cannibalism kind of thing. And so I think they support it from that, but it's it's not what he's saying. Uh, this is a spiritual thing. It is a symbolic thing. But for the Catholic to receive communion is to receive Christ. Because when you receive communion, the bread becomes his body, the Wine becomes his blood. Even though you don't get the wine, only the priest does that. Uh, unless they've changed it, they might have. It's been a while. <laughs> uh, but but the, the the blood the wine actually becomes his blood, and they receive Christ, the body and blood of Christ. Uh, and so when you hear the word mass, that's what's going on. And for transubstantiation to work, you need somebody properly ordained by the church to do it because nobody else has the power. And so that's where they get the laying on of hands from Peter through, you know, down through the line of succession. And, and these, this is committed even to priests and to sometimes deacons. And these are the people officially able to do communion. Anybody else can't do communion because they don't have the power. It's just bread and wine or bread and juice. It doesn't mean anything uh, from that viewpoint. Okay? My mom, by the way, she felt, she felt this kind of thing strongly enough, even though she rarely went to church herself. When I became a pastor, she says, Well, what do you do at church? I said, Well, I explain God's word. She says, Well, you can't do that. And I said, Why not? She says, Because you're not a priest. And I didn't understand her thinking, what do you mean because I'm not a priest? I read the Bible, I tell people what it means. She says, but you're not a priest, how could you do that? And here's what she was saying. Because you haven't been ordained through this succession, how could you possibly hope to understand the Bible? Only those people can do that. And you can start to see the fallacy in that yourself if you have ever read the bible and understood it <laughs> without being in that line but that is the view of transubstantiation the church has the ability to do that the people are defined by the church and that is what happens okay that is one view of communion now if you have been raised in that view and nobody ever told you anything else otherwise you come in here and you see things the way we do them you're going this is wrong these people do it so weird well I don't think we're wrong, but we're going to go on. Consubstantiation is the Lutheran view. Okay, uh, It is the view that the bread and wine spiritually become the body and blood of Christ. Okay, Luther, that, who, uh, who was a Catholic monk, started rejecting things he saw in the Catholic church that were not supported by Scripture. One of them was this whole idea of transubstantiation but he couldn't distance himself completely from it so he came up with something called consubstantiation which says that the elements spiritually become the body and blood of Christ. Uh, he, he rejected it he said but he did believe the, the, I have a couple of, of references here that the body the Christ is bodily present in the Lord's Supper and is received by all who partake of the elements of communion so even though it doesn't physically become it, he is bodily represented. another take on it says uh, the molecules are not transformed into the body and blood of Christ, but the molecules of flesh and blood are present in with and under the molecules of the bread and wine. So, so Jesus is present in it, and we are receiving Jesus when we take the Lord's Supper. Uh, that, is, that is the Lutheran, the Lutheran view. So we find both these ideas, and in these ideas, communion is not a memorial, which is what I'm going to present next and say what we do, and, and I'm going to have the gall to say it's right. Okay, uh, but, but uh, both those views say, say uh, that receiving communion is receiving Christ. Okay, both of them take it that way. Uh, that is the view one way or the other. Memorial is the view that you find here and in most Protestant churches. It is the belief that the bread and the juice represent Jesus symbolically. When Jesus says, this is my body, he's, doing, he's using a metaphor. This represents my body. When he says this is my blood, it is a metaphor. This represents my blood. And it is to remind us of what he did for us. But the most common view of all, I said three, there's actually four. The most common view of all is the assimilated view. Or possibly the dissimulated view. Where we take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and we walk around with a whole lot of uncertainty. And we do it because we're supposed to. And we do it the way they do it at the church we're at, because that's the way they do it at the church we're at, and so it is how we're supposed to do it. That is the most common way we, we function, which is fine. Uh, so that's the first question, is, is which is it? Transubstantiation, consubstantiation, memorial. The second question, is it a sacrament or is it an ordinance? Now, for those of you who've never had these questions, then you get to just coast and, sorry, try not to join our snorer here, <laughs> who's enjoying the service immensely. Uh, <laughs> uh, the second question, is it a sacrament or is it an ordinance? Okay, most people, again, use the words interchangeably, sacrament or ordinance. And, and, and both words essentially are just talking about the same thing, the communion or, the, or, the, or baptism. Uh, but they do have different meanings based on how you use them. And a sacrament is something that conveys sacredness. Okay? It is something, uh, at least for some people, it, it, it conveys. Holiness for, for most people. It's nothing but a word that means a religious right. That is a def- dictionary definition of uh, one of the dic- dictionary definitions that it simply means a religious rite. but for others It is a means of grace as a means of grace It is something that bestows God's grace on you. It makes you holy So taking communion is an act that makes you holy You were less holy before you took communion. You are more holy after you take communion, Uh, and and it represents that kind of thing. Uh, It is, it is uh, that that would be both the 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 view of the Catholic and the Lutheran church church, and maybe some other churches, I'm not sure, but that is the word. what the word sacrament means, and ordinance says it is a practice established by Jesus with the command that we carry it out, ordinance, the the, the, the word order, as this is an order that we are given, uh, it is a command we obey, it is a memorial act of obedience and not a means of grace, and that's the way we approach it, I don't believe you are necessarily holier after you take communion than before, however, if during the time of prep- preparation for communion, right, and we take that time and we ex- examine ourselves inwardly and we look for unconfessed sin and we make things right for God, then yes, we are becoming holier through the act of communion, but it is, is what we take into it that determines what we get out of it. Otherwise, it's, it's a little piece of bread and it's a little cup of grape juice, and, and which by the way leads me to the next question. Wine or grape juice? (laughs) Here's the thing. Jesus drank wine. When he instituted the Lord's Supper, it was a Passover meal, and he took the cup of wine, and he used wine. And, And the bread they ate was unleavened bread. It was the traditional Jewish unleavened bread. It looks more like a saltine cracker than like a piece of bread to us. If it is important to accurately reconstruct that, then we must do the same. But I have something I like to say that where a symbol is involved, it is what the symbol represents that is important more than the symbol itself. right? I apply that to baptism all the time. It is what the symbol represents, our uni- unification with Christ and his death and his burial and his resurrection, more so than our getting baptism exactly right. Same thing with the Lord's Supper. What does it represent? The, bo- the bread represents his body that was given for us. The blood, re- or the cup represents his blood that was shed for us. As far as I'm concerned, the elements are not all that... I don't want to take, make light of them. But if we use the... Uh, <laughs> I was going to say the wrong kind of bread, <laughs> as I'm busy arguing that there isn't a wrong kind of bread. <laughs> it, 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 it's, it, but you see the point. If we use a kind of bread that you might say, well, that's the wrong kind of bread because that's not what we use. Does the bread still, to the person receiving it, represent the body of Christ? Then it's the right kind of bread. That's why at youth group they might you get away with using fishy crackers, you know, because they're handy. They might get away with using Kool-Aid. One of the most, one of the most. Uh, meaningful communion services I ever had was out at, well, now Terry Anderson's barn during a youth leadership retreat. And, and we shared communion out there. And I think it was Kool-Aid and crackers. It might have been Kool-Aid and some kind of cookies. But I'll tell you what, it was a meaningful communion service. Okay. And, and so uh, Brett, uh, if you want to be, be a purist, then wine and unleavened bread. But I don't think that's essential, and, and we don't do that here, mostly because it's what we weren't taught to do. <laughs> and typically, it's kind of interesting, the churches that believe in communion as a sacrament are the ones that tend to use wine, and the churches that believe in communion as an ordinance tend to use grape juice. But anybody remember the time we had prune juice? Yeah, Bethany remembers. <laughs> it, it was not intentional, and it was not good. <laughs> And it has only happened once. (laughs) But it still represented Christ's blood poured out for us. Okay, Uh, It still did what it was supposed to do. Okay, so those are my questions and answers about, uh, about the Lord's Supper, what it is. The early Lord's Supper, let's go back and look at what happened in the early church. And so we start with the very first communion, which is that last supper when Jesus met with his disciples. And our scripture reading was Matthew 26. Verses 26 to 29. Let me read that, reread that. Matthew 26, 26 to 29. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, took bread, it doesn't say the bread, just took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And we have the very first communion service. And and the disciples really didn't understand um, what was going on. Jesus didn't pull them apart to a separate time. He didn't pull them into a church, have them sit, have bread and juice on table before them. He reached over and he grabbed a piece of bread that was already at the table. It was just another piece of bread. It was what they ate, what they had to eat with their dinner. Uh, and, and he reached over and he took just a piece of bread in, in uh, prob- I mean, I don't want to say it random, but I mean whatever piece was on top. And he took it he says, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he passed it around. And, and everybody took, some, it, what, what they did, by the way, didn't look at anything whatsoever like what we do. And we can start going, well, why do we do what we do? Well, we'll, we'll get into that as we, as we move on. We need to acknowledge that wh- what we do when we observe the Lord's Supper, what we do is greatly influenced by tradition and culture. We do it the way we have learned to do it. We do it the way we have inherited, to a large degree. Now, not completely. We make, especially as as leadership uh, in a church, we make conscious decisions about it. For instance, the church I was at in Spokane, communion was always at the end of the service, like we're doing today, and I hated it because it was always it appeared to be an afterthought. As people thought, as people who forgot about the communion service were getting ready to get up, he'd say, wait a minute, we have a communion service. And everybody would sit back down, and we'd quickly have a communion service, and then we could get out of there, is, is what it felt like. Okay? So when we came here, I said, can we have communion in the middle of the service? Because I wanted to highlight communion more than I felt like it had been done back there. They said, Sure. Okay, we have elders sometimes, or sometimes people other than elders help, uh, or do do the part where I'm doing now, where they talk about communion before we have it to to prepare our hearts and minds for it. Why do we do that? Well, it is a conscious decision because uh, I grew up Catholic, where only those special people could do it, and the Bible never says, "Let him who is ordained among you lead communion." It just says, "Do this in remembrance of me." And I, I one of the way one of the re- the reason we do that is part of a conscious decision to make sure everybody to, to help people know that this is not something that a holy man does for the unholy. This is something that a Christian does for Christians. Okay, so so we do make conscious decisions, but for the most part, what we do is what we've been trained to do, what we learn to do. We in, have inherited it. Uh, so he says he says the bread is my body, and it's a metaphor. Anybody remember this one? This is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. Did anybody ever watch that and say, "Wow, the brain looks a lot like an egg." <laughs> we get the metaphor. We understand it. It's just a representation, right? He's not saying this is my body. He's not sitting there at the at the disciples and pulling off a piece of bread and saying, "This is my body," and then looking at his body and saying, "What a weird body." He's he's saying this represents my body. This is a this is a metaphor. It is a symbol uh, of what is going on here. Uh, He he just took it. The bread represents his body. His body is given. His body is expended. His body is consumed for us. Okay, That's what he says about the bread. The wine is his blood. He says, the blood of my covenant poured out for you. Uh, A new covenant established in blood. And in the Bible, it takes blood to establish a covenant. It takes death to establish a covenant. And on the evening that he was betrayed, the, the, the evening before the morning that he was killed, that he was crucified and that his blood was shed, he said, this is the blood of my covenant. And the disciples could not understand that at the time. It could not make sense to them. But very shortly after, it did. And it took on meaning that it didn't have the same time. And the wine represents the blood of his covenant poured out for us. And and they didn't get that because he just took some of the wine that was at the table. He didn't have a special holy, specially blessed wine sitting in the fridge or on the shelf or whatever you do with wine. I actually don't know. (laughs) Didn't have a wine cellar of special holy prayed over wine. He just grabbed the wine that they had there. And he said, this is my blood poured out for you. And and for all the differences that we can point out between different people doing communion, the different backgrounds we have, those different things, these things are the same. And these things are unchangeable, what the bread and the wine represent. The main point is still the main point. But that's the first communion. I've already said we don't do it like that. First of all, it would be very unworkable in a church, wouldn't it? To have everybody sitting at one big table (laughs) and and who's going to to do the leading. Only Jesus could do it that way. But if we go to 1 Corinthians, and we go to 1 Corinthians 11, and maybe you're already thinking, well, is he going to go to 1 Corinthians 11? Because that's where we always go. Well, guess why we always go there? Because it's the only passage in the Bible outside of the Gospels that we find the Lord's Supper. And what's interesting is as we go there and we find the Lord's Supper, we find how the Corinthians did the Lord's Supper, and we find out, That they did it badly. The way they observed the... We we want to go back to the early church. We want to say, how did the early church do it? Because if we can do it the way the early church did it, then we can do it right. But what we find is the only example we have from the early church is a church doing it badly. So we don't learn to do it the way they did it. We learn from their mistake what not to do. (laughs) And, and Which is kind of an interesting thing. He gives us, among other things, that gives us a tremendous amount of leeway in how we do it. The important thing is that we do, and it's the why we do it much more than the how we do it, right? The Corinthians, he, he, we have uh, 1 Corinthians ten, fourteen to 17. Uh, let me read that first. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry, I think as to sensible people. Uh, "...judge for yourselves what I say, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the same, of the one bread." And he's talking about the unity we have in Christ. We are one body in Christ because there's only one Christ, and we share his body when we share his blood. And they were doing it badly. He, why is he telling them this? He's saying, because you're not doing it this way. For you, it's not representing what it's supposed to represent. They, they, are, they are involved with idolatry, he, he describes it in chapter 10. And then in chapter 11, we have verses 20 through 22. We have this description of what they did. It says, when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Exclamation point. Paul didn't put an exclamation point. It wasn't in Greek grammar. But I think they correctly did in the American or English Bible. And we find a bad example. It's the only example we have of the church conducting the Lord's Supper. And and it's about 30 years after Christ's Lord's Supper. And I think what the Corinthians did is they said, hey, Jesus got together, when he did the Lord's Supper with a meal, or with the disciples, he did it with a meal, let's do it the way he did. So we can be doing this properly and authentically, but then they turned it into some kind of a a, uh, uh, merit-based potluck. And the merit was based on what you brought. So if you brought more, you got more. And if you brought less, you got less. And, and, and uh, the person who, didn't, who was poor and couldn't bring anything, he just had to sit and watch other people eat. And some people are eating and getting drunk while other people are sitting there hungry, and somehow they're calling it the Lord's Supper. And Paul is telling them, is there anything good I can say about this? He says, no, I can't say anything good about this. What they were doing was wrong. It was a bad example. Uh, they they seem to observe it as some part of a greater meal, which is fine. I think on an occasional basis, it might be a good thing to do in special situations. But but there was nothing good in it. One good thing came out of it, and that is the instructions we find just after this in 1 Corinthians. But in following the instructions, I commend you. Oh, uh, this sorry, I want to get to the right passage. For I received from the Lord On the Lord's Supper. Not as in he says, hey, I want to tell you guys how to do it. He's saying, here's what you guys are not doing. You're doing it wrong. Here's what it's supposed to be. Uh, and, And Paul thought he was correcting the Corinthian church, but he was actually writing for the Davenport church, right, so that we would have an idea. We take bread, which is the body and in remembrance of what he did. Which, by the way, is the goal of the whole thing. Verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. By the way, why do I say it's a memorial? This, do, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So 30 years after the first Lord's Supper, when Jesus sat with his disciples, Jesus or Paul, in telling the church how to do this, says, do this in remembrance of him. And so I, that's why I say I have the gall to say what we do, at least in that way, we do right. And I'm sure if Jesus was to come up here, he could tell us all the things we do wrong, should he choose to. But I'm, I'm confident that, that this part we do right, that it's a, a memorial of what he did. We take the cup, which is his blood, and we do this in remembrance of him. This is why we do... I'm not saying this as a defense of, of us and how we do it, what we do has grown out of this, but this is an ex- explanation of communion as a whole. This is the why, you know, the what and why. Why we do this in remembrance of him. It, interesting thing, I'm, this is what I'm going to be talking about at the staff or the youth leadership retreat a little bit at least, is Jesus revealed to the churches. You know, the first church Jesus speaks to in Revelation chapter uh, 2 He says he describes himself as the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands and the seven golden candlesticks, and holds the seven stars in his hand. We already know the stars represent the the lampstands represent the churches, the stars represent the the uh, the angels. And then he has has this against them that they have left their first love. You know what he's saying when he says I walked I walk among the lamps? He describes himself these different ways for a reason. He says I walk among. He's saying I walk among the churches and the messengers to the churches. But what's the problem with the very first church he talks to? They act as if Jesus isn't there. He says, you've lost your first love. They did all the things a church is supposed to do, but they didn't love Jesus. They acted as if he wasn't even there. They're doing all the things, but they have forgotten why. Why do we share the Lord's Supper? To remind us why. Why are we here? And the answer could be a lot of things. I don't care what reason brought you through the door. Fix it. You're here for Jesus. You're here for Jesus. He's the guest of honor at the party. Right? At the party, a lot of things go on. But he's the one you focus on. He's it. I have a lot of things I want to say, but I'm aware of the time, too. (laughs) Sorry, Samantha. (laughs) I don't think you took more than 10 minutes, by the way. Uh, We proclaim his death as often as we do this until he comes, that we never forget who we're here about. This is simple. Symbolism works that way. The symbol is simple. What it represents is not. It represents Jesus Christ. So this is what we do and why we do it. And as I say this with the men who are Helping with communion, come forward, please. Jesus.